Welcome to the Girls Who Gather podcast, a podcast spotlighting women's stories from a diverse range of backgrounds and stages of life, highlighting the ways they are building community, empowering other women, and walking out their calling. We are so glad that you decided to tune in. Our heart and our hope in launching this podcast is to begin extending the voice of Gather beyond just the physical spaces where we meet in our cities, campuses, and apartments. We want to make our content even more accessible to all of you. With an incredible diversity of feminine voices, we want to create a catalogue of stories, testimonies, inspirational content, and more that you and your friends can always return to for inspiration and empowerment. We will also be announcing Gather News, updates, and other exciting events coming up on this platform. So stay tuned for more from us as we journey through this next season together. And as you listen, we encourage you to lean in and learn from some truly incredible women. So our guest today, her name is Sarah Little. Though a London native, Sarah is a New York City-based multimedia journalist and storyteller with experience at Sojourners Magazine and Ministry. Sarah has also experience in modeling at Nylon, a fashion life and publishing company. Over the past two years, she has traveled and interviewed many young women and girls spanning 10 countries, supported by the United Nations Refugee Agency and others. She has also had the privilege of meeting girls from all over the world for a book that she is currently writing set to be released in 2021. Having also lived all over the world from the Middle East to Europe to Central America, Sarah poses a depth of experiences, a command of languages, and a scope of passions and projects and dreams for people and community that just simply inspires. She is currently a social innovation fellow at the Babson College Lewis Institute, educating and encouraging young entrepreneurial leaders to advance the global goals by creating economic and social value, as well as being a founder of More to Her Story, a digital platform for young women and girls from all over the world to see, hear, and share who they really are. Sarah attended her first in-person gather event this past spring with us, 2020, and we are so stoked to have her on the show today. Welcome to you, Sarah. Thank you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Very elaborate. <I'm... laughs> yeah, Sarah, we're so excited to have you and um, we know each other because you, yeah, you stumbled into a gather event in the spring um, of 2020 before everything shut down. This was like February, I think. Um, and you didn't know anyone, you just came, you had heard about it, and we connected over just a mutual love of travel and international human rights and a few other things. Um, so just to start, can you tell us a little bit more about like your first experience with Gather and why you decided to just come that day? <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me, guys. By the way, this is such a treat to be with you. Um, I stumbled upon Gather on Eventbrite. I I actually don't know if you guys, I mean, obviously you put it on Eventbrite, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I stumbled upon it and I thought I wasn't going to go, but I was like, okay, you know, this is really cool. A group of young women and all chasing their faith, um, all chasing a similar passion and purpose. And uh, so I was like, okay, I'll try it out. And, and I went and I felt really, from the moment I stepped in the door, I just felt really... Um, welcome you know I felt this this warmth this energy um this multicultural group of young women and I really felt at home and um so I mean yeah and and Lauren I remember I walked up to you because I saw you and I think I think everyone was like in their small groups and you were like standing in the kitchen and I was like I like that girl I don't know why <laughs> 
I'm gonna go talk to her. And so, yeah, we kind of, we connected over, over a lot of different things, but um, yeah, I'm so happy that I, I stumbled upon girls who gather. Yes, you did. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> so we actually want to start uh, talking to you a little bit more about your background and your upbringing. Um, you've had a very non-traditional upbringing from what I heard. Lauren told me a little bit about your story before we met today. Um, and by the time you were 18, you had spent time in 40 countries, uh, spread across five different continents and attended school in four. So Please, Sarah, can you speak more to your upbringing, your experiences that you had moving around a lot and how the way that you think this has shaped you? Mm, yeah, so I uh, did have a somewhat unique upbringing in the sense that my dad is a social entrepreneur. My mom is a documentary uh, photojournalist. So I was kind of just following them along uh, <laughs> in their in their many adventures as a kid. And I'm an only child, so it worked out pretty well in that sense. Uh, hey! <laughs> Love it. Were you homeschooled at any point as well? or I was not. I wish, though. Okay. <laughs> I wish. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I was homeschooled in primary school. Um, and because we were just constantly traveling, and it didn't really make sense to put me in, in, a, in a real school. And then um, in fifth grade, my parents decided to move to the Middle East and uh, for my dad's job and they said six months and fast forward three years and we're coming back to the states and during that time it was just really it really shaped who i am it's such it was such a formative time of life um and being exposed to or being in a in a school environment uh with 70 different nationalities represented uh really did kind of shape my view of the world and um how I, I guess, interact with, with people even today as, an, as a young adult. Um, and it also helped shape my idea of the Middle East as a region, you know, because I think there's so much rhetoric uh, surrounding the Middle East and it's, uh, it often is associated with, with fear. And I came back from living in Doha uh, uh, to a private conservative Christian high school in wow. the suburbs of Maryland. And I remember getting questions like, oh, was your house bombed by terrorists? Oh, did oh, you have wow. a camel to school? Oh, did you sleep in the desert with Bedouins? <laughs> those were the typical questions that like I was getting from my peers. And I just remember thinking, wow, there's like this, this, you know, I, I mean, I don't even know, there's this one dimensional view of, mm-hmm. of that part of the world that's just not my experience, you know, yeah. not at all. Um, some of the kindest, most generous people I've ever met in my life. And so anyway, that kind of got me started on wanting to just find common ground and um, this idea of, of finding our common humanity, you know. Um, and I lived in Costa Rica when I was in uh, when I was 17. And I attended school there uh, for six months. And then I moved to uh, Chicago for university. And I was there for a couple of years studying documentary filmmaking. And I was also modeling at the same time between Chicago and New York. And during that time, I was really, um, I was just really struggling with uh, the industry and being a part of an industry that's all about how you look and, and can be very, at times, superficial, which I'm sure both of you are well aware of. And um, you know, I just didn't feel like that was the path that God was really calling me on. And 
um, given my upbringing and my exposure as a kid and, um, you know, having this heart for a bigger world, just wanting to not be involved so much in an industry that focuses on only your appearance. <laughs> um, and so my dad came to visit me in Chicago one weekend and just kind of saw how visibly unhappy I was and was like, Sarah, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> you're so unhappy. Oh. And isn't the path, I mean, I don't think this is the path that that God wants you on and you don't think this is the path that God wants you on. So why are you on it? Like wow. there are battle. He said that there are battles in life that we're all going to have to fight. in. is this really a battle worth fighting? Um, and in that moment, I kind of had to like take a step back and, and realize that I, I had to release something in order to make space for something greater, even though I didn't know at the time what that was. And literally the next day I called my agent. I said, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. And she was like, I know. <laughs> and so um, I, I, yeah, I ended my modeling contract and I, I decided to take a gap year from school, uh, mm-hmm. from university. And I, again, didn't really know what that, that year was going to entail. Um, didn't really have a plan. I just, uh, I wanted to experience something deeper and I felt God was really calling me onto a deeper path and, and purpose for, for my life. And um, so I, I moved to London for a couple of months. Um, I was volunteering with uh, a refugee organization there. Um, And during that time, it was the fall of 2017, which I'm sure both of you remember was one of the heights of the Syrian civil war. Mm -hmm. And so the images that we were seeing uh, as the public were just kind of horrendous. I mean, the images of like people fleeing and and dying and starving and, you know, the image, I don't know if you remember the, the image of three-year-old Alan Kurdi, the Syrian boy who was washed up on the shore off the Turkish coast. And that image gained international attention and uh, people's eyes were kind of just like opened when, when that image surfaced and people, oh shit, like this is real. You know, people are like, really just dying like (laughs) um sacrificing their lives to reach safety and so during my time in in london that was kind of like when all this was happening and i felt this really strong urge to want to hear these stories from people firsthand rather than just hear about them on the music media Mm -hmm. and so i got in touch with this organization in jordan which has been one of the countries most affected by the Syria crisis. And they said, you can come to Jordan and um, we will grant you access into Zatari refugee camp, uh, mm-hmm. which um, when I was there at, at its peak, I think it housed 150,000 Syrian refugees. But when I was there, it was around 80,000. Mm-hmm. And so I, I literally booked a one-way flight to Jordan. I had no idea what I was doing. I was not a journalist not a psychologist, had no prior experience interviewing people. Um, but I just felt this really strong urge to want to hear these stories and and specifically young women's stories um, and girls' stories because I want I was interested in the female experience of war. And um, you know I, I so I went I went to Jordan um, alone and, and I went and I was with this organization and they um, were very kind and they let me go into the camp as a volunteer and, and interview girls and um, wow. I was there for a few months almost three months in Jordan and from there I 
decided to compile these stories um, into something that other people could read and, and also uh, just help help people to understand what was going on. Um, and I went to Kenya, I, I traveled to Belgium and Greece with the UN Refugee Agency, UNHCR. They got wind of my project and they also um, facilitated interviews with girls and uh, they were great. So yeah, that was, and, and there's more to that, but I um, that was just like the synthesized version of uh yeah. yeah the past couple of years we talk a lot about in gather just community and this this idea of belonging and yeah um, much of what we do in gather is to create that community and it's just all of our hearts to see that you know there's a place in this space for women to come together and Absolutely. i'm just like what did that look like you wrote an article about being a third culture kid and obviously there's some mm. controversy with that phrase but um you said something really profound. I thought that you said an unidentifiable group of people that all grew up all over the world and feel no sense of mm-hmm. belonging anywhere except to each other. Um, and that was kind of how you, you identified and, and what you felt associated with. Um, and so can you talk a little bit more about just how that shaped your view of community and um, yeah. what you what you did in that to still have relationships and still have community when you're yeah. around all the time? A great question, Lauren. Um, I think I always felt a bit ostracized from my peers, especially my American peers growing up, um, never really feeling like I could fit in and and yet always feeling like I could fit in. Like there was this weird, uh, you know, push and pull of like, I can fit in here, um, but also no one will really get it, get it. (laughs) And I also felt coming back, even from living in the Middle East, living in Doha, that, I couldn't really talk about my experiences because I either felt like I was, uh, I guess maybe people would think I was bragging about, oh, look how much travel I've experienced or like, or they just wouldn't, they wouldn't get like, they wouldn't be able to relate at all. And therefore it would create actually like a barrier between us unintentionally. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do that. Um, I was young, I was like in middle school. So having to reconcile those feelings uh, alone and, and, really having no one around that really understands what was difficult. Um, but to your point about like this global community of people that feel belonging to nowhere except each other, it's it's so true. I mean, there is this community of people, third culture kids, whatever you want to call them, that you can you can really you can I've walked into, you know, restaurants or I've walked into bars or I've walked into I've walked literally been walking down the street and I, I I feel like a sensation, uh, an energy about somebody um, and we maybe strike up a conversation and it it turns out that they've lived the majority of their lives overseas or in a different country or they've also felt this sense of displacement or belonging in their own lives. And and that's what I found in my own experience. And um, and I think a lot of my peers that have lived a similar upbringing will be able to relate to that. But in terms of. your question specifically was about uh, gather yeah. and how like belonging well, is. Yeah, just what you were doing then to to still make make sure that you had relationships. And yeah. Okay. Yeah. When you were moving around all that time, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maintaining relationships is really difficult, to be honest. And most of my closest friendships 
I think a lot about this, to be honest. I think most of my closest friendships uh, are long distance and they have been long distance for most of my life. And so the first time I actually experienced like a, a geographically close friendship was in college in, in Chicago. Um, and that was kind of a, an eye-opening experience to have like a person nearby that I could just call and be like, hey, you want to hang out right now? Like, wow. and um, I have that a little bit in New York, but it, it's, again, most of my friends are just spread around the world. So it's a bit, it, it, it does still feel like the world is very small. And right. um, it, like, I just, I remember even being a kid and like, I have vivid memories of sitting in airports on layovers and like trying to steal my turn at like a computer in a, in a lounge, like a, <laughs> a lounge yeah. trying to like talk to my friend. Yeah. That was the only way to like, you know, yeah. before Instagram, before Snapchat, wow. before any of that. Um, wow. But yeah, I mean, there's this sense of, there is this sense of um, maybe not feeling like, if we're getting a really personal, damn, if we're getting really personal, um, like maybe a sense of feeling like I am not going to measure up to people's idea of, of a good friend in per like wow. in person or like if we're geographically close um or the sense of like being fearing rejection fearing um you know if i get close to someone are they gonna leave or am i gonna leave this fear of attachment this fear of committing to people um and I've experienced that even in, in romantic relationships. I've never had a boyfriend and I'm 23. And I think that might have to do with like, just fearing that getting close, that close to right. someone um, and just not really knowing if it's going to last because, well, yeah. I usually leave or, or they do, you know? Right. So it's, even if it's not like a personal thing, it's just like how life is. It just, that's how it right. works. Like, you know, yeah. 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 Wow. But. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's so, so valid. I can imagine that that really just like shaped your ideas of stability too. And of even just really relationally. Um, yeah. Not even on a yeah. broader sense, but in a really personal way. Wow. Yeah. And I think something that you said too, Sarah, struck me like that sense of, well, I guess independence where you that that hesitation to be like committed to something I mean because literally you're traveling the world you're always on the go you're forging your own sense of identity independence all the time in so many different spaces and so I mean I, I am also an only child I've also traveled a bit in my life my mom and I have moved around a lot just by virtue of her work not to the degree that you have but I you know something struck me in highlighting that that sense of that commitment like when you plug into community calm like calm unity commitment there is that commitment and in, endowed in, in, in the sense of community so mm -hmm. i think it's something that you have to mine out of yourself i mean and maybe for those of us who um, like that physical community having that and having that stability in that it takes a little bit of time to i guess mature the soil around that but i wanted to ask you too about just storytelling, like telling the stories of the women and young girls all over the world. And I'm sure you've seen so many different things, having gone into camps, just walking through the streets of different cities, going to airports, seeing different family dynamics. Like, yes. you know, it's clear in, in when you're telling your story that you value women's empowerment, you, you value, you know, telling people's stories. 
And from what I also heard, you started an organization called More to Her Story. So I wanted to ask you a bit more about that. You know, what what compelled you to start that? What in your experience led you to name it More to Her Story, to design it the way that you did? What is your hope for More to Her Story? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that More to, More to Her Story, first of all, is uh, it's a platform. It's an online community where young women and girls can express themselves freely, um, whether it's rap, photography, essays, poems, films, however they want to express themselves. Um, and really talk about issues that they are facing that they might not feel comfortable talking about in their families or cultures or communities or societies, whatever. Um, and more to her story really was um, born out of, yes, my experiences traveling and interviewing and hearing the stories of these girls, but but also hearing something so often from the girls that I've met and interviewed, which is I have nowhere to express myself mm. and how I really feel. Um, and I have nowhere to talk about things that, that really need to be talked about, like that maybe are taboo, uh, or honor crimes, you know, 5,000 women and girls every year are murdered in the name of honor. And for those of you who don't know what honor crimes are, it's when a female member, uh, of a family is, is only worth as much viewed is only worth as much as the honor of the male members of that family. So for example, if she dishonors or does something that could be viewed as dishonorable to her brother, her uncle, her, her cousin, her father, um, they have the right legally in some places to kill her. Um, whether it's as simple as, you know, going out and, and speaking with a boy, you know, that she wasn't supposed to be speaking with or going out and staying out past a certain hour um, and not telling her parents where she she is. Um, I remember hearing a story of a girl who went behind her father's back and bought a cell phone uh, because all of her friends had a cell phone. She wanted one. And her 18-year-old brother found it uh, one night and he was so angry that she did that, that he went into a room while she was asleep, shot her in the head and killed her. And oh no, no one did it. Like he got away with it, you know? Um, and that, that actually, that story is the story that made me become, maybe want to become a feminist. Wow. I wasn't a feminist before wow. that story. At least I didn't consider myself one. I was kind of indifferent to the whole feminist, like ideology movement, whatever. Uh, but that story was like, it really shook me to my core. And I was like, damn, wow. this is, this happens. Like, <laughs> this is not something that happens. Like, this is not something that happened in the past. Like, it happens right now. It's happening. Yeah. So what is my responsibility as as a young woman? You know, it's not like a them problem because they're in this yeah. country and I'm in this country. Like, it's it's a us problem. Like, you know. Um, yeah. So telling those stories, I think, is really crucial, and that's that's the reason. Um, that I created more to her story and that I want girls to feel like they can talk about these things. Absolutely. Sarah, I feel like a lot of the work that you're describing and like the aim behind more to her story, I mean, it's it's the heart of humanitarian work. Um, and for myself personally, I gained proximity to these issues by virtue of my internship with the Syrian American Medical Society this summer. And so, you know, Zatari, I was working on a proposal for funding in Zatari refugee camp, a lot of these places that you're mentioning. And I think what can happen though is you know, yes, there are different vulnerable groups like women and children kind of get clustered into other vulnerable groups like the elderly or the disabled. And I think what gets what happens is these populations 
you know, I guess for the worst, get get kind of painted with this blank canvas or they get turned into a monolithic story, you know, like, oh, all of these people are in need, all of their needs are the same, but it's just not true. And so I think the work that you're doing is just so powerful and so important because you're breaking apart that assumption, you know, that all the girls in a particular location going through a particular crisis, especially in the event of war and displacement, you know, their experiences are not going to be the same, you know, who they were before the conflict and who they're becoming during the conflict is going to be different just by virtue of their uniqueness. And so I'm like, so excited to just see more of that content from you. And, um, but for all of the goodness, I wanted to also ask you, are there any fears or inhibitions that you had or may have still as you're endeavoring on this project? I would say that there's a fear of not, uh, doing justice to the stories that I'm telling. Mm-hmm. There's a fear of putting, placing my voice at the fore rather than these girls' voices. Yeah. Um, it's sometimes, I mean, I think it's actually more often than not unintentional when we place ourselves in the center and center ourselves when it's not about us at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, yeah, there's a fear of backlash there's a fear of receiving backlash uh when when mortar story the book comes out next year uh again of people thinking that i'm writing this because i want to gain some kind of recognition when that's not the case um and there's a fear of 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 the girls you know of of, of ensuring the girls safety safety of the girls that I'm speaking with and that um, whose stories I'm telling, I want to make sure that they're they're safe because there have been a couple of instances when, uh, I'm not going to go into detail, but like there, there have been instances where it's like, it's their safety is coming to question. And I just want to make sure that's consistent. And so, yeah, um, there's a fear of, of spiritual warfare if we're getting theological yeah, <laughs> <of course. laughs> um there's a fear of you know the enemy setting up camp and wow. doing what he likes to do uh yeah so i mean there's a fear of there's a fear of a bunch of things uh but i think that fear and courage actually are on two ends of the same spectrum mm-hmm. so they're not it's not like fear over here and courage over here i think that you have to have fear in order to be courageous um, and the two really go hand in hand. So that's my, that's how I think about fear. And I also think that fear is, like, as I said, I think fear is really necessary. Um, yeah. If you're gonna be doing anything, uh, if, you're, if you're doing anything in life that's that's slightly outside of, of your comfort zone or um, the world's comfort zone. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Well said. Well said. Yeah, something that you said um, stirred a question. So you said about like one of your one of your concerns and fears is is um, to do justice, adequate justice to these stories and telling these stories. And um, I studied at NYU, studied um, like created my own major, and it ended up being the thesis ended up being about um, the way that narrative and the way we tell stories impacts human rights policy right in line mm. with what you're doing but um one of the central questions and and this wasn't really like a question i had an answer to it's something i was asking my whole time that i really want to know your thoughts is like how do we tell stories of suffering and of these really like yeah. I, I mean a lot of these women have experienced 
incredible tragedy like the one that you know you, you had mentioned earlier um, and how do you tell these stories of suffering without taking away agency and um, you know shedding light on stuff that's happening and and yeah. identifying that these are issues in the world but not like removing you know but keep, keeping the empowerment of the woman or of the person that you're telling the story of um, and that's just always something you're wrestling with because I think by nature when we talk about this is happening to a person it yeah. naturally like they become sort of a victim in the story and so right. how do you do that in a way that honors in a way that doesn't strip them of agency you know absolutely i struggle with the word empowerment i use it very often yeah very often and i struggle with it because i to me that means that you know if we're empowering women and girls that implies that you know that they need to be empowered and that the systems are not the ones that need to be dismantled and the truth is like we actually have to dismantle the systems and that's that's what we should be focused on um because women and girls are already extremely right. powerful um that's great. Yeah. yeah but i mean i also understand the, the flip side of that and why people use the word empower right. um you know what i've always tried to do in telling these narratives and telling these stories um is make sure that i'm handing the microphone to the girls themselves and not that's a that's a big thing is like the book that I'm writing is actually is actually more of like an anthology in the sense that it's amplifying these stories and these girls and their voices it's not me like writing about them and writing about their stories and about their struggles and about their plight like it's really them taking the reins and saying whatever they want to say, um, however they want to frame their story. Um, I'm kind of here as like a, a car, a vehicle, you know, mm. to, to tell their stories. Uh, and that's, again, kind of what more to her story, the platform is doing as well as letting, letting them take agency over their lives and, and express themselves however they want to express themselves. Yeah, that's great. Um, I also want to transition just to talk about something we were talking about before the interview started about faith. And I think that something I really admire about you, um, just knowing you a little bit and following you on Instagram and just seeing you're very outspoken about human rights issues, you're very outspoken about justice. And um, I think there's kind of an idea in American Christianity that, um, you know, it's like, um, I think it can get hard when you start to interact politics and faith and but you have grown up all over the world so you have a really unique um your if your, your faith has largely been probably i assume shaped by what you've seen around the world and the fact that you know christianity a belief in in jesus um mm. isn't subject to one political party in one nation mm. um, and i was just mm. wondering if you could speak a little bit to that because i think you know, I know our listeners are all over the spectrum of, of different faiths and backgrounds and beliefs, but um, you are a Christian, you have said that, and um, I'm just really curious to know kind of, yeah, your perspective on that and the way that, that your views have been have been shaped and the way that interacts with your faith. Hmm, such a good question, Lauren. Jesus is synonymous with, with love, as you both know, and that's how I've always viewed and constructed my own view of faith in my head and through interacting with people who don't believe the same things I believe I've realized that that God actually is a lot bigger than we like to, to think and wow. um, a lot bigger than we like to to we have as you said we live in a, in a 
in a polarizing culture of political parties and denomination Christian uh, Christian denominations, which is so silly. But you know, we um, God is God, right? Like, and we like to put him in in this box that we've each constructed in our own heads, which is yeah, yeah. which is so funny. Um, yeah. You know, God is is actually is actually like he loves all of us so much and i think that these boxes that we've constructed are actually really really um it actually makes them really sad you know like and i think it's crazy that like human rights and christianity are somehow on two opposite ends of the the spectrum i mean wasn't Jesus like the biggest activist of all? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Didn't he like parade around in like you know like around <laughs> his city and and protest injustice yep. and protest wrongdoing and protest you know uh, people who who didn't speak out about these issues? I mean, right. that's kind of what our call as Christians yep. is you know, is to speak out about these issues. Um, So that's, I mean, that's kind of how I think about it. And I think, I think, like you said, being exposed to a lot of cultures and faiths and religions and beliefs growing up did shape and influence how I view God today. And I I think of him in a very large, all-encompassing way. Um, and my Muslim friends and I have had so many conversations about God and, you know, they, some of my Muslim friends, you know, I think are so, so aligned with who God is, so aligned with who God is, um, far more than some of my Christian friends. I don't know, Sarah, like, I just want to scale out a little bit and just kind of offer up this question to you. Just what do you think? in times like we're living in where, I mean, there's division everywhere. There's division in the church. There's division on the front of race. There's division on the front of sexual identity and expression. Like in your sort of travels, in your observations, in your reflections of humanity, like what the heart of what you're doing, what is the answer? Like, how do we, how do we forge a new path ahead? Like, I hate to ask the existential question, but like all hands on deck, like, you're a brilliant thinker and and doer in our in our day in our generation as a woman of faith and a woman of action. So, like, what do you want to see more of from our generation to affect change in these areas? Wow, what is the answer? Yeah. <laughs> Tell us, Sarah. Please, we need to know. Here it is. Everybody, lean in. Oh, <laughs> well, I can say that the answer is not Instagram. shoot what do you think um and i'm an avid instagram user but i i strongly protest the idea that social media is the is the answer to solve human injustice (laughs) i will say that social media is a is a vehicle and a tool that we can utilize for good and because we we have been given this this unprecedented gift of access and a couple of nights ago, I stayed up talking with my my 
South Sudanese friend who lives in a refugee camp in Kenya and we were WhatsApping late at night. And it's like, when else in history was that possible? When else? You know? And so we have this gift of unfrodden access to the world that we all just use very seldom. We don't use it very often. Um, we use it, we use social media to amplify and promote ourselves, our our endeavors, our businesses, but like actually using social media to connect with individual people. Yeah. Actually using social media to, to connect with the world larger than our own. Like when, when do we do that? You know? So that's what I would say. I would encourage young people to actually utilize Instagram and um, whatever social media they're on to connect with individual people um, and just connect with the world outside of their own. Yeah. Yeah. Social media in general was somewhat started with the idea that we're going to foster more connection and community with each other. Yeah. It's since become just a platform for self promotion in a lot of ways. It still is a incredible connector, like you said, but you know, we've shifted so far from that. So yeah. What a, right. What a, like, call to action to just come back to that original like place I actually think yeah. like we might be seeing that a little bit more now just in what's happening in the justice space what's happening in the pandemic space like it's it seems to feel like we're a little bit more care caring about each other it might be performative but like there's a little bit of hope that I'm like okay that looks a little better than it did but even so I think yeah. we're, you're right and to, and to that point I feel like there's also this like while it's it's amazing i mean we've seen it with the blm movements like it's yeah. incredible like how much people are using their voices for the right reasons like on platforms like instagram yeah. at the same time there's this overload of information you know that people don't always know how to how to conceptualize how to internalize and like I, I personally i don't think that taking to social media after such a traumatic event such as mm -hmm. the george floyd murder or or any of, of the other any of the other murders is actually the most human natural way to respond to a situation such as that. I think it's actually more human and natural to like process it with your family, process it, you know, with your friends and have hard conversations with people um, and just kind of taking and posting and reposting on your story is not really yeah. going to change anything, but yeah. be like, is that the most, you know, human way that we can respond and, and, yeah uplift and encourage one another to take yeah. real action in our communities like i, I don't know um yeah. it's good yeah, yeah i have fatigue sorry go ahead no you're good i just just briefly i mean i think what you just described is exactly i mean i identify as black american my family is from the south i mean we are the product of slavery in america's history and not to be heavy-handed with that but the reality is that there is a lot of brokenness and dysfunctionality in our country on an institutional but also at a grassroots level just person-to-person -person communication in so many communities and the way our police force is being managed i mean we won't that's not what this you know podcast is for but those are issues that do exist and i think knowing how to orient yourself and how to still navigate that landscape in the social space what is my pain? What is the name of it? What is the scope of it? Where is it coming from? Where is it going? Like how I tried in that moment, my impulse, that my generational impulse was to post and to go on a social media tirade. If you didn't align, you get unfollowed. You don't do this. You're do like cancel culture, toxicity, things that were so outside of myself and the humanity that I know that I'm capable of. And so I think I just 
for me, I've taken a month off of social media after mm-hmm. events like that. And I've done exactly as you said, Sarah, focusing on having those one-on-one conversations with the people who matter to me most and slowly building my way out and amplifying my voice outward once I have a stable foundation of what I even believe in I'm thinking right. So I'm so yeah. glad that you said that. And I think it's for people, no matter your ethnicity or race or proximity to these issues, you need to pace yourself in engaging with these issues, but keep engaging with the issues. So yeah. thank you for saying that. Yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, compassion fatigue is a real thing. Like, when we're so mm-hmm. over inundated with so much hurt and brokenness in the world that we're seeing, especially as a result of just access to social media. And I'm sure yeah. you, I, I'm curious, it's one of my last questions, but just curious to, to know, as you're hearing all of these stories with the work that you're doing, as you're seeing, you know, just as a general Instagrammer, you know, seeing all this stuff, and then you're also, your line of work is very much, you know, to be hearing these stories all the time how do you not get just how do you yeah how do you not get so overwhelmed and and lose your hope and lose um your ability to move forward and be so fatigued from just all of the the hurt that you're confronted with in the world all the time that's good that's good i think as as we get older we all become more jaded we all become more cynical we all become more tired that really sucks to see (laughs) Yeah. And it especially sucks to see leaders getting tired and drained and jaded and cynical because they're the ones who are in positions of power. They're the ones who are affecting policy change. They're the ones who actually have to be optimistic if if we're going to see expect to see any kind of change. I I tend to ha- I tend to get angry about things. And when I first came back from Jordan, um which is actually where most of my um, my most eye-opening experience hap- experiences happened uh, were in Jordan. And I remember coming back and not knowing how to process my emotions and, and yeah. feeling so completely overwhelmed, so completely blindsided. Um, as naive as that sounds, as, as elementary as that sounds, like I really didn't know you know, how so many girls around the world are, are treated and regarded and viewed. And I felt like an idiot, first of all, but I also, because of my upbringing, because of being exposed to so much living in so many different places, I I felt living in, in Qatar, which is actually recently ranked in the top, in the bottom five nations in the world, respecting gender equality. And I lived there as as a kid and I, I didn't see it. You know, I didn't, it didn't, because it didn't affect me. Um, and so coming back and, and realizing, realizing that and trying to understand what my role and responsibility is in the midst of all that um, and trying to write a book about it, like, right. <laughs> it was overwhelming. And yeah. um, I, I pray a lot. I meditate a lot still. I journal a lot. I, I write. That's how I process things personally everyone processes things differently but I, I I write I'm a writer um and having a strong support system having adult mentors in my life has really helped people adults that are actually on your side and want to see you succeed and will um will answer a phone call you know if if you if you're in a crisis or if you're in the middle of like 
a mental breakdown, just being able to pick up the phone and call someone um, and knowing that they'll pick up is really vital. Yeah, I think. That's so good. That's so good. Um, we want to wrap up our time with you here, but yeah. my last just little question for you is just um, do you have any like parting pieces of advice that you would give to women listening based on just all that you've learned in your upbringing, travels, modeling, starting your organization, whatever it might yeah. be, um, and to encourage them to be women of action? Um, yeah. I would say anybody can be a, a woman or man of action. It really, Nike was really onto something with their slogan, just do it. You know, I think, I think everything stems from this fear of, of inadequacy and this fear of starting something and, and not finishing it. When the truth is like, once you start something, if, if you're really passionate about it, that's like you will finish it like even if you don't physically finish it like if you start something like that's the point that you start something um with the intent to finish it and um i would say be authentic in your pursuit of of your purpose in life authenticity is really key and you guys do that so well gather does that so well and um, and I think that's actually really hard to do for a lot of people is to be authentically themselves. I think we, we think that we are authentic. I think it's actually really hard. <laughs> so just to, yeah, that's what I would say is to be authentic and to just do it. Amazing. So good, Sarah. Um, it's an honor to have had you on to speak to all of us today and share your wisdom, your experiences, and ultimately your journey with us, which is far from finished. Um, you are an absolute light in a walking well of wisdom. And we are so glad that you stumbled upon Gather earlier this year, that you got to chat with Lauren and share your hearts and, and realize you have parallel visions. And now we all have the privilege of following your journey and getting to amplify your voice today. To all our listeners, thank you once again for tuning in. We hope you feel loved and encouraged by today's content. Be sure to stay tuned for more of our exciting updates and gather news on our Instagram, at Girls Who Gather, as well as our website, www.thegirlswhogather.com. Also, remember to share and subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Be on the lookout for exciting season updates and announcements, merch, media, meetups, and more. There is always something for you to be involved in and a place for you to belong. You are so loved. Until next time, bye Gather Girls.